Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. I'm beginning a brand new series talking about living with purpose. And I'm specifically going to be talking about the purpose of the church. So why are we here as a church? Why is the church universal here? What is our purpose? So on and so forth. So uh, as I, I begin to think about this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus lived with a purpose. He lived to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Sin, sickness, poverty, anxiety, destruction. Amen. That's the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Uh, Disinformation. (laughs) It's the work of the devil. You know, Satan is a liar. Jesus said, you're a liar. And, you know, Satan is a liar, the father of all lies. Deception is the work of the devil. A lot of people are destroyed uh, because of deception. Deception is Satan's only real power over the believer. When you know the truth, Jesus said, if you continue in my words, you'll be my disciples. Indeed, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's John chapter 8, verse 31 and verse 32. So Jesus came to destroy the works, plural, of the devil. Then Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It says, this former treaty have I written, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach, indicating that Jesus is still working, that he is still teaching. So how does Jesus today, how is Jesus doing, carrying on his ministry? How is he teaching today? Through his body, the church the fullness of him that carries out all things. He is the head, we are the body, the fullness of him that carries out all things. So Jesus does not act independently of the church. If God's going to get something done on the earth, he needs a body, so he works through the church. God's work on the earth is done through humanity. God gave authority to man in the beginning over the earth, right? Satan came and usurped the authority of mankind in the garden through deception, right? But, you know, and and he became the God of this world, the God of this world system, this present evil age. He still is. But Jesus is Lord of the earth. He always has been. He always will be. So when Jesus came, Jesus came as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus did in his earthly ministry on the earth, he did as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. He didn't do it as God. He did it as a man. And Jesus lived on this earth as a man, sinless. 
praise God, and conquered the devil for us. And Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, gave, brought us back into authority. In fact, when we read in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says, Matthew 28, excuse me, verse 18, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe my commandments, immersing them into who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is, and lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of this age. In Revelation 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So Jesus is Lord over the earth. And when we come into Christ, we have authority over the works of the devil. Jesus began to do and teach, but he continues to do. He continues to work, and, and he works through the church. Now, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 17 through verse 23, Paul is praying for the church. If you want to know how to pray in a New Testament way, there's probably no better pattern or no better example to follow than Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 1, and Colossians chapter 1. And when Paul prays in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, and Colossians chapter 1, did you know what? Paul, Paul doesn't focus on lack. He doesn't focus on weakness. He doesn't focus on the devil. He doesn't focus on demons. He, hasn't, he doesn't focus on need. What he focuses on is who God is, who Christ is, what Christ done, what Christ has called us to do, and then what he's invested in us so we can finish his work, so that we can complete what he's called us to do. Now look at this in Ephesians 1, 17. He says, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. He says, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and when he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, all power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. Primarily, there are three things that he prayed. Number one, he says, I want you to know him. Right? I want you to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The ultimate goal of the gospel is that you might know Jesus. That you might know God through knowing Jesus. In fact, Paul says this in Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection being made conformable to his death. Jesus said 
in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 8, they will all know you from the least to the greatest. That is the goal of the gospel. You can see it in the New Testament and you can see it in the Old Testament. So he says that you might be filled with the spirit of wisdom. He's not talking about head knowledge. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about a personal, intimate knowledge of Jesus. That you may know him, this, be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's got to be revealed to you in the knowledge of him. Then he says in verse 18, secondarily, I want you to know the hope of his calling. Right? I want you to know him, and then I want you to know what he, Jesus, has called you to do. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the same. I want you to know along with his calling what he's invested in you so you can get the job done. I love 1 Thessalonians 5. It's verse 24, 25. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. If God's called you to do something, then he's given you what it takes to get the job done. Amen? Then he says in verse 18, and I want you to know the exceeding greatness of his power. To us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power. There are three different words used for power in those verses. The first power is dunamis. It's talking about ability, the special, wonderful, miracle-working power of God, the ability of God. Thank God we've been given special, wonderful, miracle-working power. We've been given the ability of God. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. The second word power, according to the working of his mighty power, I got this from some notes, but it's, it's this kratos, and it's power manifested through a reigning authority. The, the first one is talking about ability. The second one is talking about ability that's manifested through a reigning authority. The third one is talking about authority, dominion. Because you've been given dominion, You've been given ability. And when you understand your dominion and your ability, there is power, ability manifested through a reigning authority. So he said, I want you to understand. Number one, I want you to know him. Number two, I want you to know what he's called you to do and what he's invested in you so you can do it. Number three, I want you to know the power that he's given in you when Jesus was raised from the dead. 
The same power that God manifested when Jesus was raised from the dead has been given to us as believers, and I want you to know your authority in the name of Jesus. Now he goes on to say this in verse 22 and verse 23, and has put all things under his feet and given him to be head over all things to the church. Jesus is the head, and we are the body. Notice this in verse 23. The church is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. The fullness of him that carries out all things. The way that Jesus continues to minister, the way that Jesus continues to work, the way that Jesus to continues to uh, do things on the earth is through his body. God doesn't work on the earth outside of a physical body. If God's going to do things on the earth, he's going to work through a physical body. He's going to work through the church. A friend of mine wrote a, a song years and years ago. It's got beautiful words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've never heard a sweeter story. Your hands are Jesus' hands. Your feet are Jesus' feet. What a revelation. Jesus lives in you, and he lives in me. So the way that Jesus continues to work is through his body, the church, the fullness of him that carries out all things. The second question I have is what must we receive so that we can carry on as the church, as the body of Christ, the ministry of Jesus? I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse 13 to verse 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What are people saying about Jesus? Some say he's a great teacher. Some say he's a prophet. Different people have different things that they say about Jesus, but it doesn't really matter what everybody else says about Jesus. What matters is what you personally say about Jesus. What matters is your personal revelation of who he is. And Jesus and Peter answered and said, he goes on, Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This isn't a head knowledge thing. This isn't, you know, a doctrinal thing. This is a, this is a relational thing. He says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of the revelation of who I am, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
on this rock, the rock of the revelation of who I am. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am the son of the living God. You've got to get a revelation of who Jesus is. I'm not just talking about sweet little Jesus lying in a manger. I'm not just talking about the historical person of Jesus. I'm talking about a personal experience of Jesus. I'm talking about a relationship with him. And he said, if you get an understanding of this, if you get this revelation, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the rock of the revelation of who he is, will not prevail against it. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that, that God, that Christ is building. I'm excited about working with the church because God's in the church business. Hallelujah. You may not be as excited about it as I am, but I get to do this. Amen, and we're all apart. We're all part of his body, the fullness of him that's carrying out all things. He said, I want you to get a revelation of this. And when you, you know, they, they, they wrote a song, a song in the church years and years ago. It was called Hold the Fort, Hold the Fort. It's a terrible song. It's an ungodly song. Because what it's talking about is we're trying to hold the fort against the devil. Listen, this says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus built. You understand what I'm saying? When you get a revelation of who he is, when you get a revelation of what he's invested in you, when you get a revelation of his authority and dominion, the gates of hell is not, are not going to prevail against you, the church. I am convinced that we talked far too much about the devil and his work. Listen, I believe in casting out devils. Jesus said in the Great Commission, those who believe in Mark chapter 16, verse about 16, those who believe will cast out devils. I believe in casting out devils. But I don't talk a lot about the devil and demons. And the reason I don't is because I don't want to magnify the devil and I don't want to magnify demons. You know, in the Old Testament, you only see the devil mentioned a dozen times. Ten of them are in Job, one of them's in Isaiah, and one of them's in Ezekiel. And the reason you don't see the devil talked a lot about in the Old Testament is because Jesus hadn't died and rose again. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changed everything. But here's what I want you to understand Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, says that he spoiled principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Jesus destroyed the devil and his power in his death. It doesn't mean the devil doesn't have power. He still has power. He's still the God of this world. But Jesus destroyed him. 
And if you understand what Colossians 1 verse 13 says, it says that he has delivered us from the dominion, from the authority of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the sons of his love. If you begin to understand that you have already been delivered, that Satan's power has already been broken, that Christ has already finished the work, that Jesus is Lord and he's living in you. It's going to change how you live your life. And you'll quit walking around with a whimper. And you'll start running around with a roar. There's too many whimpering, whiny Christians. And listen, whining is like calling the demons. But when you understand Jesus is Lord... He's Lord of heaven, he's Lord of the earth, he's Lord of the grave. He's the Lord of eternity past, present, and future. And when you understand that the Lord of eternity and the Lord of heaven, earth, and the grave has taken up residence on the inside of you, and the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead... If you're reading the same Bible that I am, it's my favorite verse in the entire scripture. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. If the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. If you begin to understand that. The reason you didn't hear a lot about the devil in the Old Testament because they didn't have authority over the devil like we have authority over the devil. But in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it changed everything. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, as soon as he is baptized in the river Jordan, the Spirit of God comes on him. He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Jesus overcomes the devil, not as God, Jesus overcomes. When Jesus was baptized, he was identifying with humanity. He was identifying with God's plan for him as a man. And, and when he got, came up out of that water, the Spirit of God sat on him like a dove. The Father said, this is my beloved Son. Jesus read the Scriptures. He believed the Scriptures. He believed what God said about him. He, he saw what was going to happen at the cross. He saw what was going to happen. And yet he, he made a decision to follow it. And so when he got up out of the water, the Spirit of God sat on him like a dove. And the Father God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased he was well pleased because Jesus made a decision to follow his plan and follow through with what the father said about him and as soon as he did that he's led by the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and he beats the devil every time and he beats the devil as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. And he beats him by the power of the Spirit and the power of the, the Word of God. The same way that you beat the devil. Jesus already won the battle, but you, you, it's, you walk in that victory when you begin to take authority and act like God told you. So I'm believing casting out devils. I know the devil's real. I know demons are real. I know, but I just don't talk about it a lot because I just don't want to give the devil a lot of free air time. I'd rather talk about the lordship and the dominion of Jesus and the fact that he already conquered him and I've already been delivered from Satan's power. 
And when I understand that, did you know what? The devil has very little power in my life. In fact, the only power he's really got over us as believers is deception. So when you begin to understand the truth, the truth makes you free. Praise God. So quit making excuses and start taking authority. And, and maybe I can't do it for everybody else, but I can take care of me. And I'm telling you, there's a couple of teachings that I hate. One of them, Aaron called it out in the first service because he hates it. He hates it as much as Andrew Womack. And it's the, this false teaching on the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, but he sovereignly acts according to his word. And a lot of things that have been pointed out and put on God are just not God. Everything does not happen for a reason. Put that in your religious pipe and smoke it for a while, as my daddy would say. Chew on that one a while, yo religious goat. Religious frog? Frogs. I don't like frog. Demon spirits like frogs in the book of Revelation. Okay. Hallelujah. Just, you know, listen. There's a lot of things that have been accounted to God that God didn't do if you read in the same Bible that I read. So I don't like that one. The other one that I, that I this is Pastor Lawson's, and you don't hear a lot about it anymore, thank God. But it's the teaching about generational curses. I hate that teaching. Somebody agrees with me. <laughs> You know why? Because where can you find it in the New Testament? It's not there. And here's the problem when people teach generational curses. It's a sorry excuse for letting the devil have a heyday in your life. My worst example all time is when Lester Sumrall's grandson came to me and told me, I have this generational curse and I can't help myself in this area because my daddy had it and now I've got it and my daddy got it from my granddaddy. You lying devil! You lying dog, your granddad did not have that problem. I understand your dad did and you do, but it's your problem and it's not a generational curse. You have just let your flesh have a heyday. Read out what the works of the flesh are. I have to calm down. Just really, this one really gets me ticking. Thank God we don't hear a lot about it in the church anymore. But 1 John 5, verse 1, we had this about 20 years ago going around the Bible school. And so I asked the director of that Bible school that morning, I said, hey, can I take care of that today? He said, go ahead. Of course, I made some people really mad that came to my church because they were the ones spreading this doctrine of the devil. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ 
is born of God. How many of you are born of God? You believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, if that is the truth, and if Romans 8.11 is the truth that I just quoted to you, you have the exact same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead living in you. And you, you, so you are a son of God, child of God, and you have the spirit of Christ in you. Now, if God is your father and you're in his family, I'm talking spiritually now. Spiritually speaking, what generational curse can you inherit from God your father? There aren't any because he doesn't have any to give. I had a guy meet me in the front lobby. He said, Pastor, I heard this 30 years ago in a church in Washington State by a very renowned teacher, and I saw all the damage that it did in that church. And I agree with you 100%. I hate that. It's just, a, it's just an excuse for sorry living. It's an excuse for letting the devil have a heyday in your life. So I hate it. So, question number one. How does Jesus continue to do and teach through his body, the church, the fullness of him that carries out all things? What must we receive to carry on the works of Jesus? Number one, you got to get a revelation of who Jesus is. On this rock, the rock of the revelation of who I am, I'll build my church in the gates of hell. <laughs> you know, the devil ought to be sweating when you wake up in the morning saying, my God, what are they going to do to me again? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I heard one time Smith Wigglesworth and Lester some uh, this how Carter maybe one of them. But, but I think it was Howard Carter and Lester Summer, they were traveling over in Asia. And they woke up one night in the middle of the night, there was this eerie feeling in the in the room, and the devil had had made the bed move across the room. And he woke up and just said, put it back, devil. <laughs> just bam, and the bed went right back to where it was. <laughs> you got to take authority over the works of the devil. You've probably heard me tell this one, but there was this missionary that went to Africa, and, and there was this witch doctor that was controlling this village, and this missionary had been ministering to this village but wasn't getting very far. So he said, I tell you what, we're going to have a standoff on a certain day. And you, missionary, come, and I'm going to come, and we're going to have a standoff, and we're going to see whose God is Lord. So the missionary just went about his business, doing everything he did. And this uh, witch doctor was fasting and praying and do all this. And so they go to this, they come to the center of the village when they did on a certain day, when they invited everybody to come. And, and this witch doctor is floating, right, levitating. And the missionary just walks up and puts his foot on him, says, in the name of Jesus, come down. Got balls out and shaking. Doesn't even know where he's at. You got authority over the works of the devil. The devil is not who he used to be. Quit giving him so much time. So he goes on, says, not only do you get a, need to get a revelation of who Jesus is, but he says, he says in verse 19, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth 
will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You got to get a revelation of who he is and then get a revelation of your authority. Right? And it comes through relationship. Look at the very next verse. I've never seen this before. Then he charged his disciples, notice this, that they would tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. If this is what you want everybody to know, then why aren't you saying go tell everybody? Because it's not about head knowledge. It's about a personal relationship. And if you don't have a relationship, it doesn't work. I think Don Crow said this years ago. He said he went on this mission trip and he took all these students and, and they, he said they were all praying the right things, but they weren't seeing the right results. And he saw other people, they weren't really praying as much of the right things, but they were seeing better results. And he said it was evident that their prayers were working because of the relationship. This thing works because of relationship. Jesus sends the 12 out, Luke 9, gives them power over devils and to heal the sick, preach the kingdom of God. In Luke 10, he sends the 70 out. Same thing, gives them authority, right? Preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, right? Tell them the kingdom of God's come to you. They come back, the 70 come back in Luke 10, and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. What's Jesus say? Don't rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you got a relationship with God because it's a relationship I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about a relationship. It's a relationship that makes this deal work. So Jesus carries on his ministry through his body, the church, which is the fullness of him, who carries out all things. And he does it. We in the church, number one, need to get a revelation of who he is. Number two, need to get a revelation of our authority in Christ. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. You got heaven behind you. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven, right? So you get that authority and you start operating in authority and you start making a difference. Jesus said, pray like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We got heaven's authority behind us. Praise God. So we go in authority. Now, what is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? Well, number one, the church exists to exalt Jesus. We're here to glorify God. We're here to exalt Jesus. Number two, we're here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry or edify the church, edify the body. Number three, we're here to evangelize the world. And it, it goes actually in that order. So I'm only going to have time to share about the first one today. I'm going to talk about exalting Jesus. How can we exalt Jesus? Jesus said this, John 12, verse 32. This may not be the best verse. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. It's really talking about his death on the cross. And when he goes to the cross, he's going to take all judgment to himself. But there's still something about lifting up Jesus, magnifying Jesus. 
I love this verse in Psalm 50, verse 23. It says, whoso offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Praise glorifies God. There's just something happens when you begin to praise and magnify and glorify God. Listen, the world's not going to do it. But when we as the church begin to praise and magnify and glorify God, it brings glory. Amen to God. It brings glory to Jesus. When you praise God, I talked a little bit about whining. Whining is like calling the demons. Making excuses is like giving the devil a heyday. But praising is like calling the angels. So start praising God. The world's not going to do it. Start glorifying God. Start magnifying God. That's what we've been created for. Hallelujah. What are you doing when nobody's watching? Hallelujah. You know, I can go in my house when nobody's watching, and I'll tell you what, nine times out of ten, Barbara has praise and worship music going. She's glorifying God. She's praising God. And now we got one of them things where they can hear everything you say, right? They're probably listening all the time. So you got to be careful about what you're saying. Anyway, uh, hallelujah. But, you know, we tell it to play something, and then and once in a while, it's playing, doing good, and then it goes over there, and it starts playing something else, and it starts playing some of this. And I'm like, where'd that song come from? Shut that thing off. I just had Ada Quinn, and she loves this song. This is how I fight my battles. She said, battles, battles. She wants you to go tell it. Play fight my battles, surrounded. So, you know. So after a while, it gets old. <laughs> She'll say, battles, it just gets done. Battles, battles. I'm like, let it sing a few more, and then we'll go back to battles. <laughs> and finally, I get there, I'm like, Google, shut off, <laughs> or whatever we call it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and then it keeps playing. It's getting stubborn. I'm like... Google, shut off. <laughs> it's running around. Google, shut off. <laughs> He's imitating me. <laughs> Getting mad at the thing because it won't obey me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, praise the Lord. We like CDs because you can play what you want and it'll keep playing. <laughs> but we don't like all this stuff, but we like a lot of it. And we love to praise God. Why? We're created. See, I want to show you a scripture in John chapter 4. We're created to praise God. We're created to glorify God. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and she's asking about what mountain they ought to worship on. And Jesus isn't concerned so much about the mountain. He's concerned about what's going on in our spirit. And he says this in verse 23 and verse 24. He says, the hour comes and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is looking for true spiritual worshipers. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah, the anointed one, the one in whom is the spirit is coming, who is called Christ, the Messiah. And when he's come, he will tell us all things. He'll tell us the truth. Jesus said, I'm he. I'm the anointed one and I'm the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Don't have to look any farther. But God is looking for true spiritual worshipers. And when you're born again, 
It's a natural fruit of your spirit to worship God. It's, it's, you get to do this. Now, in Matthew 21, verse 16, Jesus is coming from the, the triumphal entry and, and the religious people are saying, hey, tell these people to quit worshiping you. He says, don't you know that it's been written out of the mouths of babes? You have perfected praise. He's actually quoting Psalm 8-2. And in Psalm 8-2, he says, out of the mouth of babes, you have ordained strength that you might still the mouth of the enemy and the avenger. What happens when we praise God? What happens when we exalt Jesus? Number one, we're glorifying God. Who offer, whoever offers praise glorifies me. And whoever orders this conversation right, I'm going to show the salvation. Praise glorifies God. The world is not in the habit of glorifying God. Amen? But you need to get in the habit of glorifying God and praising God when maybe nobody's around and maybe somebody is. Hallelujah. I remember years ago, I walked in the post office in Kit Carson, and I didn't even think about anybody being there, just going in to get my mail, and I said, I'm blessed by the Lord, the possessor of heaven and earth. And I heard this voice from behind the mailbox, the one employee in Kit Carson post office. That really sounds good to me. You know, praise looks good on you. Start praising God. Start Listen, ABC, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, they sure ain't going to do it, and I'm telling you most of the conservatives don't do it either. So we need to glorify God. We need to praise God. We need to magnify God. We need to constantly be praising God. It's, it's part of our nature. It's part of who we are. And, and so it glorifies God. Let me show you a couple scriptures that go along with this. Go over to Ephesians 2. Let's look at this at the end of the chapter. He says in verse 12, he says, At that time, before you knew Christ, you were without Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, estranged from the covenant of promise. You had no hope and you were without God. But he says, now in Christ Jesus. In verse 13, everything's changed in Christ Jesus. And you who were alienated have been made near by the blood. But then he goes into verse 19. He says, now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are builded together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. God is building us together as the church for the inhabitation of His Spirit. And I'm telling you, that praise doesn't only glorify God. Praise doesn't only still the voice of the enemy and the avenger. But praise unifies the church. And there's something about it when we get together and we just worship God and we just glorify God and we just magnify God. Amen? You know, hallelujah is the same in every language across the world. Praise God. When we sing songs like, you, you know, just, just and glorify and magnify God just for who he is. 
There's just something beautiful about that when the church comes together about what we agree on, and that's Jesus. Amen? And we worship God. There's just something powerful about that. Hallelujah? And we probably are never going to agree on every little piece of doctrine out there. But we can agree on Jesus. We can agree on the blood. Amen? And if you start praising God, I think praise looks good on you. Amen. I want to read one more, a couple more verses in, in Ephesians and then take you to one in 1 Peter really quick. He's praying for the church in Ephesians 3 and he says in verse 20 and 21, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. I like that. All we can ask or think according to the power. What power is that? In this case, it's the power of his love. You can say the power of the word, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ in you. But in this case, if you read it in context, it's when you get a revelation of the grace of God, of the love of God. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can even ask or think. That's the context. Verse 21 says, Now unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages of the world without end. We're to live for the glory of God. And when we start praising God, he's glorified. Amen? The devil is silenced. Praise will silence the voice of the enemy. If you'll just start praising God. You know, I had a pastor call me last night from Florida. I went to visit him last November. And listen, it was about as negative a situation as I have ever seen. Basically, the week before I came there, just prior to that, his whole church had quit. He was left just, I mean, it, it was very, very negative. And you know what I did? I went in and ministered the grace of God. And I shared with him, praise God. But he called me last night. In fact, he took me out with a group of men that he respected trying to encourage him, right? And, and two of them were HVAC guys. They were elders at another church and they were great. But one of them was a minister, and one of his friends, and this guy just started just running off at the mouth and just telling him how he wasn't going to be able to pay the payments on the building. Everything was going to go bad. And it, it was, listen, he's already dealing with terrible pain. And this, it's just like this guy was puking on us and saying what all the people that left were saying. And I knew when this guy was saying it, this, this guy was speaking exactly what all those people were saying. And so I looked across the table. We were eating lunch. And I said, well, you've just left one thing out. As he was puking on us all. And he said, well, what's that? I said, well, you've just left out God. All that's true without God. And you know what? He just shut up. And this pastor called me last night, and he said, listen, I've been reading your book, and I read when you had this challenge years ago, and then God brought you through that and brought you out, and then you had a challenge years later, and it was a lot worse, but God brought you through that. And he said, you know, I had a challenge years ago, and God brought me through that, and I've had a challenge now, and listen, it's about as bad as I've ever seen it. But he said, I'm telling you, God's bringing me through this. 
And it's already a miracle where he's at today. And he said, all these people that were telling me I'm going to have to sell my building in a couple of years, he said, I'm believing God and I'm going to pay it off. And then I'm going to tell him, yeah, I don't have to worry about paying them payments anymore because it's paid off. Uh, And I was just like rejoicing. And God supernaturally, in the midst of this terrible mess, these extremely negative circumstances, God supernaturally has been giving him relationships, bringing people to him, bringing him up as a leader in his city, which is a city of substantial size. Different things are supernatural. Two churches now are using his building besides him and paying him almost enough to pay the payments before his church has to pay them. And it is supernatural what God is doing for the man. And I just told him, listen, you have tremendously, tremendously encouraged me today by calling and giving me this testimony. And you know, it might look like you're out. You know what all these people that left him were... That, they were trying to rule and control the show, and he, they were not the ones to be in control. They were utterly a mess. But you know what? God has showed up for him, and God is helping him, and God is blessing him, and God... <laughs> so make sure that whatever trouble you're facing, or whatever trouble, better yet, somebody else facing... When you're talking to them, do not leave Jesus out of the equation. Keep glorifying. Keep magnifying. Keep praising God. Because Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are being built together as, he says that in Ephesians 2, but he says as living stones in a house on, on the foundational stone of Jesus to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through praise. And he's, he, that's in verse 5. But he says this in verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people, Pastor Lawson. I might seem weird to the world, but it ain't weird to God. I love one translation that says you are a royal race. You're his own special people, one of a kind. There's nobody like you. To to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been called out of the darkness. You've been called into the light. And you have been called to glorify and magnify God. And when you do it, amen, it brings glory and honor to God. It silences the mouth of the enemy and the avenger. And it unifies the church. So keep praising God. I love you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.